Oh, also, um, this week, I will send out the new volunteer uh, rotation, probably by tomorrow night, I guess, um, for the next uh, few months. So, again, just thank you to all of you that just help out getting all the stuff done, especially on Sunday mornings, you know. Super duper appreciate it. And uh, it's a big deal, so thank you. Um, If you don't help out or serve at all in any way, please find me let me know. There are definitely opportunities for things to do. And uh, a lot of it is not really crazy hard, difficult, or super involved. Much of it is really not that bad at all. I mean, look around. We're not a bunch of brain surgeons around here. So, I mean, you know, it's not. (laughs) All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Title of the message is Whatever It Takes. Whatever It Takes. For some people, that's their life's motto. For others, they stay as far away as possible from that. All right, so let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you bless our time this morning. That you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, you're going to speak to our hearts, Father. So I just thank you for that. I pray that we would be listening. You're always speaking, Lord. You're always desiring to be in relationship with us. I pray that we would be mature enough to to set aside other things going on in our life, Lord, to hear your voice, God, to align closer to your heart. It does, just doesn't happen by default. We've got to position ourselves to be close to your heart, Father. And I just rejoice in those, Lord, that have just been positioning themselves in just beautiful ways, Lord, in our church, Father. And I pray for those that are struggling with it that they wouldn't stop, that they wouldn't throw in the towel, Lord. So speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Bless our kids that are next door. Watch over them. May you protect them. May you watch over those seeds that are being planted, Father. And I thank you that you love them more than we do. So may we do our part, Lord, and be good stewards of the little hearts and minds that you entrust us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, So we're going to pick up 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. And, um, you know, the title of the message of whatever it takes, uh, I don't know, just out of curiosity, if we were to take a super random poll, how many of you are drawn to, you don't have to raise your hand, but just to think about, how many of you are drawn to people that have exceptional discipline in their lives? Um, You know, if you were to think about that, probably a good part of you were like, you know, I'm kind of drawn to that, to that ability in that that way where people can really discipline themselves in a way, you know, that's important. There's something about us that, you know, just kind of cries out for that. Um, And you don't need God to have discipline. That's not super profound, but it's true, right? You don't need God to have discipline. And that, that's like one thing that's very confusing. Because on the flip side, there's a lot of Christians that believe in God, that believe in Jesus Christ, have accepted that, him as their Lord and Savior, but have like very little discipline in their lives. And it's a struggle and a fight and super confusing for those watching. On the other end, 
There could be people that are completely uninterested in having a relationship with God. They, for whatever their reasons are, are not interested in pursuing God. But they are super disciplined. So they can't get up on time for work and be on time for work. They can fill out the paperwork that they need to fill out to get it done. They can take care of the responsibilities and chores that are at their home in a timely manner so their house doesn't fall apart. Um, They're able to set up their finances in such a way so that they're not covered by debt their entire life. And you don't technically need God for any of that. So many people that are well-disciplined, they're a lot of times... Not every time, but a lot of times, like, well, you know, I see all the struggles that you have, but, like, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And so, if Christianity boiled down to getting my life in order, nice, tidy, and neat, and having everything going really well, then I guess that they would be doing great. But I hope that something inside of you, as I say that, is like, wait, 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 that's not what Christianity is about. And you're right. It's not. Christianity is about submitting and surrendering my life to a Savior who has paid for my sin. My sin, like a debt I could never pay. That Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, I believe in him, and I live my life after him. That's what Christianity is about. Along with following Jesus, he'll bring other things into place. And he'll create discipline in life where we need it. But discipline for discipline's sake certainly does not make us godly or more of a Christian. So strong discipline does not equal godliness. It just makes somebody mentally tough. Which is pretty darn good, though. Right? I mean, that's good. But that's not soul-saving. Right? The reward is, hopefully they can pay it forward to those around, but it's, it will still never take care of the debt that Jesus paid for. That's always the issue. And nobody really likes to talk about that three-letter word, S-I-N, but it always boils down to that issue. So, the other end of discipline, right, for the Christian. See, what happens many times is that you have many Christians that for whatever reason, life, they've just done whatever in life. And they haven't done well in the discipline arena. The good news is, is that God will bring some discipline and some, some securing and some, like, some tidiness in some areas where it needs to be. But when God does it, He does it in a way so that he gets the glory and we are not feeling super burdened and totally overwhelmed. That's significant to know and understand that. Because one thing that means is as we grow in spiritual maturity, discipline grows as well. A Christ follower who is mature They're strong in their discipline. They just know what things are important, and they go after that. 
They know what things might get in the way, so they stay away from that. So anytime, like even somebody goes on a diet, you know, I want to lose weight, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. You talk to any trainer, or nutritionist, or whoever, they're going to say, okay, what's your goal? What's your goal? What do you want to do? How much weight do you want to lose? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And so then you share it, you make a whole plan. And the reason why you create all those goals is because when it gets tough and when it gets difficult, and you really don't feel like doing any of it, you don't just hyper-focus on how much it sucks in the moment. You focus, discipline kicks in and says, ah, I'm thinking and looking over here. I'm not focused on how much this is bad right now. I made a plan to get over there. Christianity is very much the same. And what we can do as Christians many times is just say how much it sucks right now. And God's like, listen, I have an entire destiny and value on your life. I'm not, it might seem like the wheels are falling off, but I promise you things are falling into place the way that they have to. That's where we have a responsibility, and it starts with the letter F, and it ends with an H. That's where our faith will come in, and either we're going to believe him on that, and try going along with it, or we'll just say no, or maybe we'll just might fight him every step of the way. The thing I like about Paul that we're going to read about in this passage is we're going to get an insight into his life as far as what his mindset is like. Because I like the mindset of the people that are really well disciplined. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm really, you know, I'm really drawn to that. You know, it's all like us guys, you know, we like the Rocky movies, you know. We like stories of the underdogs, like just working hard, you know, and like getting it done. Um, you know, some, I don't know, I like the, the documentaries and the stories of guys that are just working their tails off in the offseason and nobody sees it. But then it pays off like, you know, game five of the NBA finals when everybody's watching. You know, like, I'm drawn to that. As a priest man, it's like, ah, you know, that's good. Like, that's right. That's needed. It's also part of me that's drawn to seeing people that, you know, know how to uh, provide and set up a life that will help benefit those after them because they've been disciplined in their own life. So they have to spend forever scrambling. But within my discipline, I want God to get the glory and I want him to take my discipline further than my efforts could go. Right? We want our discipline to go further than what our efforts can bring it. So we get a little bit of a snapshot into Paul, his motivation, and his mindset. What kind of guy is this guy? What's going on? So we're going to see some of that. And right at the outset, right as we're, so we're going to dive in now, He's going to start off defending himself. Um, anybody get attacked like in the past week at all in any way, shape, or form? Just got something thrown at you? Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe in the past week. No matter what, within the past month, you've probably been attacked in some way, shape, or form. And Paul's catching some heat right now. And many times when it's attacked, whether it's, it's, it's valid or not, it causes a response out of us. So I don't know how you typically respond to an attack. I think we know how 
like we respond. I know how, how I respond. I, I think you know how you respond to an attack. But God wants us to respond in a specific way. Most of us know when we respond to attack, like I got an email a couple of weeks ago, you know, from a parent, kid in class, and this kid is like, he's the, he's the student that shows up, literally no book, no paper, no pen, no pencil. He comes walking in, hey, Mr. Murphy, uh, you got some paper I can borrow? You got a pencil I can borrow? Every day, every day. And this kid's spending money like, to learn here, and I'm like, so it's a continuous conversation of just the lack of effort and just the not caring, you know? So, so one day, he did not like how class was going because I was kind of giving it to him. Because much like within teaching, you're not just trying to teach the material, you're also trying to give life skills so that way they can succeed and do well. Trying to teach them and show them that a way of growing up is getting your work done, getting it done on time, but also a way of growing up and maturing is taking ownership and responsibility for what you do. If you decide to make choices in a particular way, if you follow that down the line, you want to see what that looks like. So I was giving to him a class. I was picking front on him for a lot of stuff um, as far as volunteer work. So come to the board, you know, do this. What about this? What about that? Um, and he just, you know, had no idea what was going on. So afterwards, I'm like, man, listen, you got to get it together. If you want to just pass this class, we got to figure something out. No, I don't know. So then I get an email. I haven't heard, and, and I've contacted the parents a few times throughout the year. Never heard anything back. But after that day, I certainly got an email back. Because, you know, he was all riled up, and he went home and told Mommy and Daddy, hey, Mr. Murphy's doing this. He said this. So I get this big, long email back, you know, from the parent. What are you doing? I don't understand. Did you tell him he couldn't do this? Did you tell him that? He told me this. So you can tell they're all worked up in a frenzy. Right? And so maybe you also get put in these positions where, like, something happened, something developed. It's now in your lap. And then, now, you know, how, now how are you going to respond? Um, and many times our initial reaction is, especially if we feel like we have a, like a position of where we're like kind of right, and this isn't like justified, we come back pretty fierce. You guys ever do that? No. <laughs> right. So like it went, you know, like within me, it was. Oh man, I'm firing back something here and I'm going to lay out everything this kid has done. And I was like, what? Whoa! What are we doing here? That's like not successful. That definitely won't help him. That won't help her and that won't help the situation. But I'll be justified. For the Christian, that's such a small part of our focus, it's ridiculous. Like, that almost doesn't play a part most of the time. Not to say that truth doesn't matter, because truth does. But our need to be justified doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. I hope you heard that. That will affect every way that you treat other people. And they don't owe you something. And we don't need to feel justified based on what they're doing. And you're called just to become love to them. 
That changes everything. It changes everything. Because my focus will then not be to be right and to be justified. It's going to be, Lord, you've saved me to become the love that needs to grab a hold of their life and you've placed me there. I want to walk in it. Changes everything. So I fought the temptation, at least in this situation. That's not always the case. And I said, hey, you, you know, it'd probably be a great idea if you just came in. You and him came in. We just talked about stuff. I don't know if you're getting the whole story. Part of what you're saying is true, you know, but. So then she came. It turned out to be awesome. It turned out to be awesome. You know, and he, he was like totally quiet. And, uh, and she's like, you know, what about, you know, this part? He says he knows it. He's been working with so and so. I'm like, I'm not trying to talk bad about your son, but I'm just, I'm telling you, he does, he has no idea what's going on. Literally no idea. And I was like, and I looked at him and I said, hey, we can do one problem on the board so you can give your mom an idea of what's going on, but we don't have to. I don't think it's going to end up well. And there's like that thing in us, you know, when we're caught in something, and some of us are just like, I'm caught. You know, we're just, we're just done. Like, my cards are shown. And then there's other people that are like, I'm fighting back more. Like, they dig in harder. So he was one of those that dug in harder. I'll do a problem, you know. You know, so he gets up there. He literally couldn't do one step. Like, not one. So I'm, like, looking at her, and she's like. So, like, the point got across, but I didn't have to do it the way I did before. Right? God shows us a new way to get our things across that need to get across. But we got to trust them in faith. We've got to trust him to begin with. So it doesn't even really play into the message, but that's, that, one's, that one's good. Okay, so chapter 9, here we go. Oh yeah, because he's defending himself. He's defending himself. He's kind of put in a position where he has to defend himself. Like, so he came to this, he planted this church. Like, you know, we planted C.C. Nog here. He's got to defend himself because some people came in and they're like, hey, that guy, he came in, he planted, but he just left. And he's not even that trustworthy. I don't even, he says he's an apostle. He never really like, walked with Jesus, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know about this. So there's things stirring up in the church as far as, like, is he legit or not? So if you're Paul, you know, how do you quite handle that? Because he invested some years into his life into these people. And he did it when he was working another job. It wasn't taking any payment at all from what was going on. So there must have been a little something rising up within him being like, what? Why? Why are you even listening to this? So he's going to try and, and bring it up and, and talk about it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 says, Am I not free? And if you missed last week, right, what we talked about in chapter 8 is this idea that free Christians, spiritually mature Christians, they can eat and they can drink and go places and do things in freedom. That's like a sign of spiritual maturity. Those people that need lots of rules and regulations within their life, it's actually a sign of spiritual immaturity, that they don't know, really know the Lord that well. And spiritual immaturity is okay, because we're all in different places. But infancy and toddlerhood and spiritual things shouldn't last for 30 years. So Paul is saying, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? So he goes right after it. He's like, well, I am an apostle. 
He goes, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? So like, we got to stop there. So he's saying he is an apostle. And he says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He didn't show up on the scene until after Jesus died. He, he never walked with him. He wasn't, you know, when Jesus did the thing and he's walking past the boats and there's Paul and Andrew and Peter and he goes, you know, follow me to the 12 of them. Paul wasn't one of them. He wasn't there. He didn't show up until after Jesus left. So many people had an issue with him being like, I don't know if he's legit or not. Because the requirement in order for them to pick an apostle, remember Judas Iscariot and he died, remember that? He betrayed Jesus, right, for 30 pieces of silver. When he betrayed him, they needed a new apostle to rise up to try and continue with the 12. And the qualification was, we need somebody that knows Jesus, has walked with Jesus. And they picked a couple of guys. But later on, Paul is like included as an apostle. So the question should go off in our minds. Like, well, then how did he? How? What he says, Paul, remember when he was on the road to Damascus? Acts chapter 9, you can read it later this week. When he was knocked off of his horse and he saw this light and everybody around him saw it, he says in that moment, that's when he met with Jesus. And then later on after that, he says that he had revelations from Jesus about who he was, about the calling that's going to be on his life, and how he's going to move and how he's going to work. This can be very sticky ground for some people, like if somebody's a little bit skeptic. Because that also sounds like a lot of cults and a lot of people who are like, oh, I had a thing with God. You better recognize me. It kind of sounds like that. So it's like kind of like the Mormon church, you know, they believe in, you know, this guy who basically had a meeting with an angel. And all you get is the entire Mormon faith. And then it's laid out there. And so Paul is kind of in the same situation. Joseph Smith in Mormonism, there's this prophetic guy. And then Paul, it's like, well, you know, I met with Jesus too, and he gave me a revelation. So it was hard for them to handle. So it's like, mm, I don't know. How to know about that? The good news is that you always tell if a tree is, tree is good by its fruit. It just takes time to see. It takes time to see. Um, certainly one telltale sign that somebody's pretty dangerous is if, if they really hold on to their title. I am apostle so-and-so. I am prophet so-and-so. And you must call me that and acknowledge me as that and bow down to me or, you know, do whatever. Some people are very, get around some circles. That, well, don't. But if you are around, if it happens to where you're around some of that, it's very uncommon where somebody is placed in a very unhealthy position and it's like, that is our leader, you know, like, it's not a good situation. You should always go back to God about the Jesus. I think there should be leadership and influence within church families. But this idea that there's a secret chosen person that has secret information that only he can get from God or she can get from God is a very bad situation. So that's just like a super light intro on apostleship, but that's where we are. 
So he says, am I not an apostle? Haven't I sinned you as our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? He's like, did you guys forget? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Guys, did you forget what God has done in your church like when I was there? Verse 3, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. I picture Paul being very uncomfortable while he writes this. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? So right away, he's catching flack because there are other people coming into the church that the church is giving money to, that they give support to. That's like okay on their list. And they are not married. And the church is showing them like a lot of respect. But Paul is saying here, hey, don't we have the right to eat and drink if we want to and whatever we want? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do other apostles? Everybody else takes their wives and they go out and do things. Or am I, Paul and Barnabas, are we the ones you know, that aren't allowed to get married and we're not allowed to do anything and ask anything of the church that we invested in? So Paul's like kind of in a rough spot because the church is giving to other people who have come in that really never helped to grow and develop them. Paul hears of it and he's like, whoa, like what? How did we just get like thrown out here? How come? And his motivation is not like, let me get a piece of the pie. His motivation, as we're going to see, is, guys, you're in danger. They're like after, like, they're after your stuff. So let's take a look. Verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So I give you a heads up. Most time when you hear this passage in churches, or if you were to like to Google this online, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, you know, 90% of the time, a high percentage, I don't know if it's 90, but a high percentage of the time, this passage is used to get money from the church. That's many times what it's used for. And, and it's used to describe a situation to where the pastor, pastors, people who help lead the church, now is it right for them to get financially compensated for it? And that's usually the way this passage is used because that's what Paul is talking about here. So he's saying, hey, listen, what soldier like just goes on his own dime to war? If somebody's a farmer and he has a vineyard and he's got all these grapes, 
is that like wrong for him to go and pop a couple like while he's out working his vineyard? Well, he says like an ox. Somebody's got a farmer, his ox, they throw the yoke on him and they would stand behind with a little till thing so they could plow the ground for them. They didn't have like those big tillers we have now we can rent from Home Depot. So you get an ox and so they go through with the ox and um, it was actually built into their law that when an ox is doing that, they're supposed to have a cup of feed on their mouth so they could eat as they're going. And so Paul's like, did God put that in their law so that the ox would know that? Like, was it for its concern? So you could read it to the ox and he could make sure you put the food in his mouth? It's like, no. He's like, there's a principle here of whatever you invest into heavily, it's not at all wrong to expect to enjoy some of that harvest and to be compensated in some way, shape, or form. So pause. With that being said, there are, there, there are many, and has been, and will continue to be, many abuses as far as compensation for Christian leaders. It just runs rampant. And it's not a good situation. It's bad. And it comes at the cost for fleecing the flock and taking advantage of people. And so it's not good. So there's this idea that Paul is trying to make really clear that, hey, it's completely okay for Christian leadership to be compensated by the church to invest only in the church. But there is the other extreme to where hearts still get greedy and they just use the Bible in every way they want. You know, so should a... Should a, should a pastor's family be making a million bucks a year? Uh, <laughs> you know, should they be making five million? You know, I don't... I don't <laughs> you guys are awesome. But I, I, don't, I don't know what the magic number is, but it, like, at some point I get squeamish, you know, with some numbers. You know, but then there's... there's you know, pastors also do other things, so it's not uncommon not uncommon to know of a Christian leader somewhere where whatever they do brings in a million bucks and they give away 950,000 of it. Like, that's not uncommon. That happens. Very famous pastor, you know, Rick Warren Pastor, he's a pastor of church in California. Um, He planted that church about 35 years ago. Always been there, been invested there. And a lot of people have mixed opinions and feelings on Rick Warren, his theology and doctrine and stuff. Leave that to you. But financially, when the church was large enough, he was able to you know, quit his job and just really focus in on his home church and just work there. He wrote a book that many of you have probably heard of, The Purpose Driven Life. Then it's like branched off to all kinds of things. The Purpose Driven Church, The Purpose Driven Youth Group, the, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it made a lot of money. So what he did is he took in all the book sales, you know, all his royalties. And what he did is he paid back every penny that he ever made in salary to his church. And he gives away around 90 to 95% of whatever he still brings in. And it's like, man, I mean, say what you want about a lot of stuff in his life, but he understands who provides the money in his family, and he's quick to give it back. 
So Paul is saying, hey, it's completely legitimate for Christian leaders, in this case, he's saying for us to reap material harvest from you. Stop giving these people you don't know and who they are, like invest into the guys that are with you from the very beginning. And then Paul goes further. He goes, but we didn't even use this right. We didn't even take any money from you. And it wouldn't have been wrong if he did. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So he just like lays it out right there. He's like, listen, if they're preaching the gospel and they're making... You know, they're doing that, they should make their living from it. That's fine. That's a legit situation. And again, what he does, he goes back Old Testament. So remember I told you the story about the ox and muzzling it? It was also said that the priests in the Old Testament, when they would go into um, the tabernacle and offer sacrifices on behalf of the nation, they would come with like, you know, their pigeons, their lambs, their goats, and offer a sacrifice for the sins they've done. We don't have to do that anymore. There will be no sacrifices offered today. Jesus has paid that with his perfect blood. But they would come and offer sacrifices, and it was totally legit and expected and provided and said by God that it was okay. You know, they go up there, hey, a little bit left over here. Hey, all right, you know, and they could actually eat from the food, from the sacrifices. Like it was built in that people that invest with their lives into other people in a church setting, it's completely legitimate and should happen that they also get compensated in some way that can take care of them so that way they can continue to pour in to their church family. So that's what he's focusing on there. But Paul, is, verse 15, he's like, listen, I haven't used any of these rights And I'm not writing this in the hope that you would do such things for me. I would rather die than have someone deprive me of this boast. So he had a conviction. Everybody say conviction. Conviction. He had a conviction in his own heart that he wasn't supposed to be taking any money from them. Did he have a right to have money taken from them? Did he have a right to be compensated? He did. I hope you're seeing that. He's trying to make that really clear. Like, hey, it's totally legit. It's fine. He said, but for whatever reason, God put in my heart to not just do this here. I don't know. He just told me not to. His conviction led him that way. It wasn't a formula. It was a conviction. It was from him being close with God that he just knew, I'm not supposed to collect anything from this place. He says, yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. So can he shut up? No, he can't. He's like, man, I, 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 have to, I have to tell you the good news about who Jesus Christ is. I don't care if I'm getting paid or not. You have to know about this. Jesus Christ will change your life forever. He paid an amazing cost. And he'll work through you in a way that you will never think of or imagine. Please do everything you can to invest your life and to follow after Jesus Christ. I can totally resonate with what he's talking about. I would do it for free as well. Well, I have done it for free for a long time. 
And even now, I don't really get paid much at all because it's, it's not about the payment, though. That'll help. And it's definitely one of my prayers. I'm like, Lord, I, I don't want to teach math. Like, you know this. It's not a passion of mine in any way, shape, or form. But it will help provide for my family, so I'll do it, I'll do whatever it takes. But I so very much feel and understand, and I'm sure that you do too, that I can't give 110% divided attention to my church family. Like, it makes it very, very difficult, very hard. So I'm like, Lord, let's make this happen sooner than later. <laughs> Ever do pray like that? But hopefully it'll be sooner than later, because it's been a long time so far. So verse 19, he goes, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To win as many as possible. Remember that disciplined mindset? That mindset was motivating him? You're looking at it. This is the way he's thinking about life. I need to win people. I need to win souls. They're lost. They don't know who God is. They don't know who they are. I have good news. He's impacted my life in a powerful way. i got to share it. I've got to become love to them so they can experience it. That's where his heart's at. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your forehead and think about it. Can that summarize your life story? Is your heart okay with this yet? Verse 23. I do all this. I do my job. I take care of my home. I pay for my bills. I look after whoever. I do all of this. My life I'm doing for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I mean, that's in our face. We can't run from that. So God's asking us. He's like, man, like we look at Paul, he wrote three quarters of the New Testament, had a, this guy would just, at one point in time, he would just walk, and if people were caught in his shadow, they would be healed of things. I don't even comprehend that. And people are like, oh, that'd be so cool. Yes, it would. Comes at a pretty heavy price, though. How in are you? His heart and his mind, were, they weren't separated from the gospel. It's not all that I do. It's for God and his glory. The way I interact. I might even be share one verse, but if I can somehow show the love that's in that verse, then I want to do it. If it will impede on my time watching my shows, that's okay, I'm all right with it. If it will make a dent in my checking account that I feel like I can't come back from, then I guess I'm going to do it. If it's going to be invasive in my life in some way and make me do things that are uncomfortable that I don't feel good doing, you can't see Paul saying, eh, I don't think I want to. That's a little too much. It's not... Title the message, whatever it takes. I think you can see that here. I don't think I'm like creating something that's not there. His mindset is whatever it takes for the gospel. And it's not a unique call on Paul's life. 
each and every Christian, when they grow in maturity, they end up at this place. God, just whatever you want to do in my life. Be glorified in my life. Whatever you have to do, I pray that you would do it. To actually say that prayer and mean it, that that is a mature Christian that understands the heart of God and is going after it. Because anybody can say those words. But to actually say that, mean it, and have it be their heart's cry, it's a totally different thing. Here's what he compares his mindset like, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? How do you know about our 5K? Right? How do you know? But only one gets the prize. Actually, in our 5K, we have lots of good raffles. And if you register, you automatically are into the raffle. So shameless plug, but we have lots of good raffle items as well. But if you win, you also get a prize, you get a trophy. It says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Um, and just a quick thought on that. You know, there's prize-focused Christians, and then there's passion-focused Christians. There's prize, fo- say prize. Prize-focused Christians, then there's passion, say passion. So some Christians are just all about the payoff. What can I get? I'll show up and I'll give God time as long as he can come through and do something for me. They're never going to connect and know God's heart. Probably what they'll really know a lot of the time is a lot of the ways God never showed up and did anything. Because he's not a genie. And most of our world really knows God as, man, when times are tough and things are bad, all right, then I'll really get it in gear. It's so distorted. He's moved from savior of my life to a genie that needs to get me out of a jam. Or I'll only be into this Christian thing if it'll really pay off for me and he'll take care of what he's got to do. It's scary. God has to do a serious work in our hearts. And we'll be around it all the time. And hopefully we can share in love and in truth and be like, no. It's so much more than that. It's being in relationship with him. And just experiencing what he does. So he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they would know something about the Olympics and strict training, you know, in this uh, Greek culture. And um, they would understand, you know, what he's talking about. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Christians that have a background in sports, like they can understand a little bit about, man, working through and pressing hard. You learn a lot in sports. I hope my kids like sports. I don't, you know, I hope they do. I mean, if they don't, I won't force it on them, you know, but I hope they do because you can learn so much in sports. You know, you can learn some like really valuable life skills. Like one thing you can really learn a lot from you can learn in sports that you can try your absolute best and work your tail off, and it's still not good enough. That's a tough pill to swallow. But if you've got a background in sports, and you're like, man, you know, we came up with the L on this, and we're like, we just, fit. like, it wasn't enough. And I thought we worked hard. A lot of people just pack it up and call it a day after that. Like, man, it ain't working. But, like, 
sports and coaches and hopefully a good team and good coaches, they like, won't let you quit. Like, listen, it's not time to quit. It's, not, it's now time to think, what do we have to do better for next time? When did quitting become an option? We adapt and we adjust. So I like when he uses sports illustrations, right? That helps. And he's like, listen, they compete for this stuff and it's not going to last forever. Verse 26, therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Some people just get excited and they're enthusiastic and they're all over the map. It's like my kids in the house, like they just lose their minds. You know, they're just they channeled any of that energy into one thing productive, they could seriously conquer the world. Like, it'd just be ridiculous. He says, Do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He saw discipline as a way towards freedom. He saw discipline as a way that will actually position him for something greater later. Most people see discipline as something that sucks and they don't want to do it, so they avoid it. He's saying, man, you're looking at it all wrong. Discipline positions you for success later. That's why we go through whatever we've got to go through now because we set that goal for later. So I wanted to write down just this one phrase to you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this one down. Kind of sum up in one one sentence where I think Paul's going after here. And then we're finished up. Our reasons, our reasons for restraint. Okay? Our reasons for restraint should reveal a heavenly passion. Our reasons for restraint should reveal a heavenly passion. So you fill in the blank. Our reasons for should do the rest. There we go. Right? Paul is saying, listen, I got freedom to like live and move and do what I want to do. I could get married. I could go get a house. I could, I could have a vineyard. I could, I could do whatever. I could bring whoever with me and do whatever I want. I think you've seen, he makes it really clear, he chose to restrain himself. He's like, I'll become whoever I have to, no matter the environment, I'll adapt. If it's a strictly rules and regulation environment that doesn't really know God, and they're really strict on things, and they don't eat meat, like we talked about last week, I'll go vegan. That's fine. All of a sudden, I love tofu. He's like, it doesn't matter. That's what I would do if that's in some way it can position me so that they'll at least listen to what I have to say. So he's like, I'll do whatever it takes. I will restrain my freedom for the sake of somebody else. I don't know if you hear that there, but that's a heart that's heavily invested into other people. And that welcomes and embraces any sort of inconvenience or issues in other people's lives. It like looks right past that. It says, there's a heart, there's a life. God, you've put me here. How can I bless them? How can I hold them up? I don't know how many people think of other people like that. Some, most people are just sick of somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that thing later. 
And God's saying, no, like, this is not the high school click thing. You just talk with whoever you can relate with, whatever you have similarities to. He said, no. I become all things to all men. It's like, so no matter the situation, whoever you get around, position yourself close to my heart. I'll show you how to love and how to minister to those that are close to you. Does it make sense? So our reasons for restraint. So you can expect, if you're a Christian, restraint will play a big part of your life. Isn't that fun information? <laughs> but restraining will never be more fun when you see what it produces. Restraint is going to be a real deal part. So our reasons for restraint should reveal, not that, that we're awesome people, or, oh, they're so nice. Oh, man, they're super disciplined. I wish I had discipline like that. No, 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 no. What it should reveal, it should reveal a God that has invaded their life that they're close to. And now that they are restraining for his sake under his leadership, his guidance. That's what it should reveal. Not that they're so great that they have it together. It should reveal a faith that they don't just talk about on a Sunday, but actually penetrates their life on Tuesday afternoon or on Thursday night, or on Saturday morning. So our reasons for restraint should reveal a heavenly passion. Because it was very obvious that Paul's like, listen, I just do this all for the gospel because I want to be in the blessings that are attached to how I'm going to live out. Is that selfish of Paul? I don't think so. He says, I'm striving for a crown. He says, I want to make sure, like, on the other side of life, where we spend the bulk of our days, that I'm in a really good place. That I did everything. I tried to accomplish everything that the Lord had before me. That's not like if we sit down with God and he's like, man, I laid this stuff out there for you and you just, you're caught up in your own thing. Like, you just totally missed stuff. That'll break my heart standing before God. And he shares some of that stuff. So time is precious. Procrastination, it's going to lose its appeal when we get close to God's heart. It's going to lose its appeal. So good stuff in there, right? So like, you know, money and the church and who's getting paid what and you know, it's got its place, you know, so there should be compensation, you know, church leadership, all that stuff, that's fine. But the idea being, the hearts of the leadership of the people involved, it's, it's not for the money. And honestly, for people, if you're not in church leadership, your heart still shouldn't be about the money. It doesn't change. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Like, that's what matters, being a Christian. Hearts and souls is what matters. And that's what we're going after. So on that note, I wanted to do this very quickly. Stephanie, you want to come on up? I promise I won't do anything bad to you. I promise. You want to just stay there? All right, so we're going to pray for Stephanie. So he's just, she's joining us today. She's just in a tough spot, a bad spot. Some of us know a lot about that. Um, and she wanted to, um, you know, she wants some help. And so I said, well, so listen, here's the one deal. You got to make it to church on Sunday. She goes, can I get a ride? I said, okay, we'll get you a ride. 
So she's here, and I wanted to just wanted to pray over her and just blast her. Have the Holy Spirit just fall on her. Not blast like in a bad way, like no physical assault of any kind. Just we're just praying for you. That God will just move powerfully in your life. You okay with that? Okay. So just a couple people, pray it out loud. Extend, extend your hands towards her too. Extend your hand towards her. <clears throat> so a couple people just lead in prayer there and then I'll close up. Yes. 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 And God, we just pray you just encourage your heart, Lord. It's encouraging that she's in a tight spot, Lord, and at least she runs to a church, Lord. I pray, Father, that she would uh, know you more, Lord, than, than someone that can just uh, you know, help her through something, Lord. I pray that you would just reveal your heart and your nature to her, Lord, that you'd greatly encourage her heart. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd elevate her levels of faith, Lord she'd be able to trust in a way like she never has before so she can experience life like she never has before, Lord. I pray that she'd commit her heart and her life to you, Lord, not even having a clue as to what comes next, but I pray that she would just run to you, Lord, for the answers. In Jesus' name, amen. So God, we just pray, Lord, as we go out this week, Father, that you'd further develop a heart for other people, Lord. Not a heart that tolerates and just deals with other people, Lord. But a heart that sees value, communicates that value, Lord, and wins people to you, Father. It's a job for all of us. None of us are exempt from this. We're all Christians, Father. We've all been forgiven. We're Christ's followers, Lord. I pray that we would, our message would start in our homes so it would match up with what we do outside, Father. I pray that we would be invested in prayer, Lord, and in thought. 
for those we come in contact with, Father. And Lord, as we talked about money, Lord, I pray, Lord, just for a right understanding when it comes to money, Lord, that you've given it to us, Lord, to be stewards. I pray that we would be generous with what we have. That we protect what we have to protect, Lord, but may we be generous at the end of the day, Father. And I thank you that you're going to build our faith, Lord, through the way that we handle our finances, Lord. So we give you praise, we give you glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.